I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 18. Psalm 18, I'll be reading verses 30 through 32. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how good and gracious and wonderful you are. Father, we thank you that you so loved us, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe, trust, love him, would not perish, but have eternal life. Father, we thank you. You've sent your Holy Spirit to bring us from death to life, to give us the gifts of repentance and faith. Father, we pray that you would enable us to give you all thanks, praise, glory, and honor now and forevermore. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to sing with me number 212. You will find this in the Psalter hymnals in the chairs. Number 212, Come Thou Almighty King. Number 212. Oh. 
In our time of confession and pronouncement of pardon, I'll be reading first from the law. I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 through 19. I'll first be reading this passage and then leading us in a prayer of confession and pronouncing the pardon, forgiveness of sin for all those who trust and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting at verse 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, you are holy, holy, holy. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-glorious. You are all-sovereign. Your will, your purpose, your plan will take place. Oh, Father, to you belong all praise, glory, and honor. Father, we pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would be high and lifted up. We pray that you'd continue to lead us and guide us through the wisdom, discernment, and power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you, that you would receive all praise and glory. Father, we confess to you. We confess to you that There are times where we continue. Rather than looking to you, look to our own pride, our own selfish interests. There are times where we forget you and do things according to our will, our purpose, our plan. Father, there are times that we go back to the ways of our fallen flesh or that we, we find ourselves clinging to an idol or something that we desire more than you. Father, we thank you that in your son, Jesus Christ, there's a complete and absolute forgiveness of sins. 
And it is knowing that truth, that in your Son there is no more condemnation, that we confess to you now. We confess to you those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week, knowing that in you there is grace, mercy, and forgiveness. So, Father, we confess to you those sins over this last week in our hearts and in our minds at this time. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Know this. That if you have been made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you have been brought to repentance and have faith and belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, know this, you are forgiven. You are loved. You have been adopted by your heavenly Father. You have eternal life, peace, joy, and comfort in Jesus Christ, your Lord your Savior, and your friend. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. For our confession of faith, we're going to be reading question and answer 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10, question and answer 28. You'll find this in the bulletin under Confession of Faith. And I will ask the question, and I invite you to respond with me with the answer. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 28. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. What a glorious, glorious truth of God's sovereign power in creation, redemption, and all the glorious reality 
of God's people being with him forever and ever. As we're about to enter into our time of congregational prayer, I just do like to remind that we do have plates in the back for offering for those who would like to contribute to the ministries of this church. Uh, There are plates back there for you to place your offering in after the service. Well, at this time, I invite you to enter with me into our time of congregational prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you are sovereign. That you are all-powerful. Oh, Father, that we can rest in you. How wonderful it is to know that you will bring about your purpose and your plan. Father, you have promised that that everyone who looks on your son, Jesus Christ, crucified and believes in him, believes in the salvation, the atonement brought about by his death on the cross, who believes that on the cross, Your son, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty of our sins, satisfied your just holy wrath that we deserved because of our sins and transgressions. Oh, Father, you promise that anyone who believes in that, who trusts in that, that we would not perish, but that we would have eternal life. And that there is nothing of creation that can separate us from your love displayed in your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that you will help us fix us in this truth, in this reality. Father, we pray that you will fix our hearts and minds on the truth of your love for us in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that the truth of your love your holiness, your grace and mercy, that this would guard us, that you would guard our hearts and minds, that you would grow us in the faith. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have justified us by your grace alone, through faith alone in your Son, Jesus Christ alone. Father, we pray that you would continue to sanctify us, grow us up, into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to live more and more according to the Holy Spirit and less and less according to our old fallen flesh. Father, we thank you that you are so faithful and that you are so good. Father, we pray that you will help us to rest in your purpose and plans Father, your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher. Your ways are truer. So, Father, we pray that you would grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, Father, we pray that you will help us to love you all the more, knowing that you have first loved us. And Father, we pray that you will help us to love one another. 
to have the mind of your son, Jesus Christ, to die to ourselves, to love one another in such a self-sacrificing way that gives you all glory. So, Father, we pray that you will grow us in this love. Help us, Lord, to love one another enough to encourage, to rebuke, to exhort, to correct with your word, with all patience and in love. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ right now who are facing persecution, opposition. Oh, Father, we pray for the church in northern Nigeria. Father, we pray as they continue to face the threats of terror. Father, we pray for the church in North Korea, those who are imprisoned in re-education camps because they trust and believe in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the midst of war zones, whether it be in the West Bank or Syria, Afghanistan, Iran and Iraq. Father, we pray for these underground churches that you will continue to strengthen and guide. Grow them in your love and your truth. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to have boldness as we humble ourselves before you to boldly pick up our cross in the follow. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would enable us to proclaim your gospel where we are, to fear no one except you and you alone. Father, we do pray. We pray for those who are in positions of power and authority over us. Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance whether it be at the federal or state or local level. Father, we pray for wisdom and leading. We pray for peace. Oh, Father, we pray that your gospel would continue to be high and lifted and go forth. Father, we do pray for our church. We pray for our elders, those who are in positions of authority and teaching. Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us Grow us in your love. Help us, O Lord, to equip the saints for ministry. Father, I pray for each and every one of us here who are in you through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Son, Jesus Christ, dwelling within. Father, I pray that you would help us to be of one heart and one mind, striving side by side for the one gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, crucified. Father, we pray that you will help us to shine the light of the gospel within our families, workplaces, schools, wherever you take us. Oh, Lord. We pray that you help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Father, we pray for the lost. Only you can bring them from death to life. So, Father, we, we pray at this time we lift up to you those names of those who are not saved. And we pray and plead that, that you, according to your purpose and plan, would bring them from death to life through the hearing of the gospel by you giving new hearts and new minds. Father, we lift up their names to you now in our hearts and in our minds.
Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that faith comes through hearing and hearing through your word. So, Father, we pray that you will help us to lift up your word, to speak your word, to proclaim your gospel. Father, we do pray for those who are in a time of suffering or turmoil. Father, we pray that you would just be their peace, their strength, that you would lead and guide. Father, we do pray. We pray for those who are, who are living in the woods here around the church. Father, we pray for them so broken in the cycles of addiction and abuse. Oh, Father, only you can bring someone from death to life. So, Father, we pray that you would call and draw, that you would bring life. Help us, O Lord, when we have opportunities to speak of your gospel and your truth, pointing them to their greatest need, which isn't water and power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit and your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray for this ongoing opportunity of ministry that you would lead us and guide us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us something beyond our hope or understanding, your grace and mercy. And it is an understanding of this grace that we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to please rise. And read with me our scripture. We are focusing in on Isaiah fifty four thirteen, but I'm going to read starting at the beginning of the chapter to set up our text, and then I invite you to read with me when we get to verse 13. So I will be reading Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 12, and then I invite you to read with me verse 13. Isaiah chapter 54, starting at verse 1. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. 
Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandon you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. For my covenant of peace, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted city, Lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. Verse 12, I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. Verse 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how amazing is your grace and mercy. Though we were barren, dead, under your just condemnation and wrath, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to make a way of forgiveness. Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. We pray that your word would be high and lifted up. Your word is inerrant and infallible, breathed out by you, all authoritative and all sufficient. Father, we are absolutely dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment. Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in the truth. For to know the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated.
we have been settled in on this verse. This is our third Sunday because this is the key verse following Isaiah 52 and 53, the great glorious passage lifting up Jesus Christ crucified, the gospel. And here we see that because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, that God in his great and mighty plan of redemption has made a way that we who would be called, who are elect, who are called and drawn from every tribe, nation, language, the church, the family of God, the household of God, that we could be indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit could dwell within us, that we could have new hearts and new minds so that we would know and love God. And that is life, to know and to love God. So we've seen where this has been the focus in Isaiah, this great glorious promise of the gospel. And again today, verse 13, God gives this promise. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And what is the fruit of being taught by the Lord? Salvation, eternal life. And what is displayed in salvation, eternal life? Peace. Perfect peace. Peace with God and peace with one another within the body of Christ. Peace with God, no more enmity, no more strife, no more condemnation, no more wrath, and peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. No more hostility, no more enmity. That's the peace that's described here. So for this to take place, as Isaiah made clear, we have to be born again. What Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is what Isaiah is laying out. And we see that this prophecy and this promise, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. We looked at the last two times that the fulfillment of this is the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 26. This is the promise of God that he will teach all of his children, all of those whom he has elected from before the foundation of the earth, all those whom he will give to his son, Jesus Christ, all for whom Christ will die on the cross, all for whom God will send the Holy Spirit to dwell within them. It's Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God makes this promise to all the children of Abraham, not according to the flesh, but according to the promise, according to his purpose. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. 
I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you. That's the key. Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what has to take place. Because unless we are born again, unless we are given new hearts, our current hearts of stone, when we are in an unsaved, unbelieving state, those hearts of stone will not love God. They will only hate God, hate the things of God. They have no interest in God. That's what the Apostle Paul lays out in Romans chapter 3. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. Everyone hates God. That is the condition of one who still has a heart of stone. It also is the condition of one whose mind has not been transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. An untransformed mind cannot believe and cannot understand the things of God. So we have to have this radical transformation, this new birth. And that's what God promises to do in Isaiah 54, 13, for all the children, all the children of Abraham, according to the promise, all the children whom God the Father will adopt in his son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit being sent to dwell within All of God's adopted children is the guarantee that they will be with him forever. As Ephesians chapter one lays out. So what takes place with this heart surgery and this brain surgery that causes us? It means that God will teach us himself. And that's Jeremiah 31. The other great glorious passage that this is prophesying about in Isaiah 54, 13. This is the other great, glorious new covenant passage. Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 33. Leading up to this in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it talks about the old covenant, his people broke again and again and again. So God's going to make a new covenant. That's Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That's it. God sends his holy, the Holy Spirit, because of the work of Christ on the cross, the Holy Spirit comes and rips out those diamond hard, unteachable, unloving hearts, literally removes them and places within hearts of flesh that are teachable, that the law will be written on. 
that will love God and understand God's love for them. That's, that's the new birth. That's the transformation. That's the only way anyone will be teachable is if God sovereignly does that and causes that and brings that about. Again, Jeremiah 31, verse 33, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That's that new heart. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now there's the massive shift and change from the old covenant to the new. In the old covenant, you have a very small remnant within the external covenant community of people that actually believed and trusted in God. Yet here we have this promise that within the new covenant community, all those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, that they, from the least to the greatest, will know the Lord because they are being taught by God. That's it. What does it mean to know God? It means to know that your sins are forgiven. That's that's verse 24. I mean, verse 34 again. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's what happens simultaneously. That's what has to happen for anyone to be taught by God as God promises to do in Isaiah 54, 13. This happens simultaneously. That we go from being dead in our trespasses and sins, unteachable, unlovable, unloving, And God removes that diamond hard heart of rebellion and hatred toward God. And simultaneously, as that heart is removed, as the Holy Spirit is being repentance and faith, gracious gifts by God, as that heart is being removed, it's the same motion and simultaneously as God is removing his condemnation and wrath from you. He removes that heart of stone and replaces it with one that knows his love, transformed by the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as your heart, that old heart is being ripped out, he is removing all condemnation, all wrath, all judgment from you. That's what it means when God says, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. No more. It's completely removed. Because to be taught by God 
you have to know there's no longer any condemnation in Jesus Christ. You have to understand there's no longer any wrath. Christ has paid it all. That your old record of debt has been left on the cross and you've been raised to new life. That's what has to take place. You have to have a new heart, and through that new heart and new mind, you have to understand that you are loved by God. And all wrath and condemnation has been removed. It's a simultaneous act. It's all a part of God justifying sinners, declaring us justified, right through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This verse is so important. Jesus quotes it twice in the Gospel of John. This is so foundational and so pivotal for the work of Christ on the cross that twice in these two most vital moments in the Gospel of John, he quotes from this verse. He points the people to this verse. And the first one we looked at it briefly last time, it's John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And this is the first time where Jesus directly quotes from Isaiah 54, 13. This is a powerful passage because John chapter 6 comes after John chapter, chapter 5. Good. And what's powerful about John chapter 5 is it's the feeding of the thousands. Well, what happens, do you think, by John chapter 6? They're hungry again. So they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. And Jesus just tells them point blank, you people are chasing me around this lake because you want free food. That's it. Your God is your belly. All you're concerned for is the things of your flesh. I mean, this is quite a passage. So at the beginning of John chapter 6, there are tens of thousands clamoring, chanting, seeking, searching after Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. By the end of chapter 6, is Jesus and the disciples. Everyone else has left. They, they can't handle the teaching of John chapter 6. They just, they, they leave. They're like, this is too much. That's chapter 6. So in the middle of this most vital chapter is when Jesus quotes from this passage. So again, John chapter 6, starting at verse 37. Here we see these great realities of Isaiah 54, 13. So if you look at John chapter 6, first verse 37, Jesus makes this important statement. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Wow, what a promise. What a great, glorious promise. If the Father gives you to the Son, that means he will teach you. 
He will give you a new heart. He will give you a new mind. You will come to repentance and faith and you will believe in Jesus Christ. And if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ, he will never cast you out. Now, that's important language. Because that's the same language for those who will perish. For those who do not believe and trust in Jesus Christ, at the return of Christ, all those who are not in faith, who are not saved, will be cast into hell. Eternal conscious torment. They will be cast in. That's the language. Thrown in by Christ as the judge. So this is a powerful promise that if the father gives you to the son, he will never cast you out. What's the opposite of being cast out? It's to be drawn in. That's the image here. So that's a great glorious promise. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What does that mean? Well, verse 40 describes that. Verse 40 of John 6, it speaks, Jesus says, the will of his father is that everyone who looks on the son and believes will have eternal life. And what's Jesus taking them back to? He's taking them back to numbers and he's taking them back to the time where the people, because of their grumbling, the hardness of their hearts, their obstinance before God and the rebellion. Remember that scene where God sends the snakes? So the snakes are going through the camp and ah, biting the people. And they're dying all over the place. They're just boom, boom, just falling dead in the camp. And finally, enough people are cry out to Moses, Moses, save us. So Moses prays to God and God says, you make a bronze serpent and you put it on a staff and you go in the middle of the camp and you lift it high. And everyone who will look onto that bronze serpent on the staff will be healed. They'll be saved. If they would look on that raised up and believe in God, they will be saved. So that's what Jesus is describing here. He's going to be raised up on the cross. He's going to bear the curse, bear the wrath and the judgment of God on behalf of all those who will look onto him and believe in him. That's what Jesus is teaching in verse 40 of John chapter 6. Then you get to verse 44. Again, Jesus emphasizes the necessity of someone being taught by God. John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus makes it very clear. If the positive way to state it is verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The negative way to state the same reality is verse 44. No one can come to me. Unless the father who sent me draws him. There it is. God the father has to draw you to the son. 
You have to be given a new heart and a new mind. God the Father has to cause you to set you free, to give you a new heart and mind so that you could see Christ. That you could believe, that you could trust, that you could love. That's what 44 says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And what does Jesus promise to do for everyone who is drawn to him by the Father? And I will raise him up on the last day. Yes! Not only do you not get cast into hell, but you get eternal life with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, for eternity. Isn't that amazing? So that's what it means to be taught by God. It means that God draws you. It means that God gives you. It means that God keeps you. That's what it means to be taught by God. When God teaches, it brings about everything that is purposed in the teaching. God's teaching is sovereign and absolute in what it brings about. So it's in that context of verse 44, this entire chapter. Again, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. The next verse is where Jesus quotes from Isaiah 54, 13. Direct quote. He's just reading off the first part of our verse. So John chapter 6, verse 45 where he quotes from the prophet, being prophet Isaiah, they will all be taught by God. Who? As the verse continues, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's it. That's what it means to be taught by God. To be taught by God means that God applies the righteousness, the holiness, the forgiveness that is brought about by Jesus Christ crucified as laid out in Isaiah 52 and 53. Isaiah 54 is where God is showing that he will then apply that work of Christ to those whom he will save. That's why Jesus here is quoting from our passage in the midst of this great glorious reality. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is why we share the gospel. This is why we share the gospel with everyone. As long as they have breath. As long as they're alive, we share the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. We lift up the word of God. We point to the cross of Jesus Christ because we know that if the Father will draw them, that they will come to repentance and faith, that they will believe. We know God will do that for those whom he has elected. So we share it. We share it. And God's timing is not our timing. 
We have no idea if and when the person who we are sharing the gospel with will come to salvation. That's not your job. And that's not my job. What our job is, is we are ministers of reconciliation. So we plead with people. We lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified, paying the penalty for sins, satisfying God's holy just wrath for all those who would trust and believe. And we plead with people, believe in Christ. Trust in him. Know his love. That's what we do. That is then what is the chief identity of who we are and the chief reality of what we are to do in every opportunity that we have. Because God has promised to teach all of his children. And how does he do that? Through the proclamation of his word. Remember Romans 10. Faith comes through hearing, hearing the word of God. So that's how we see this coming about in the church. The Holy Spirit brings life and the word is to be proclaimed. And that is how people are taught by God. So that's the other passage where Jesus quotes from our passage today. Isaiah 54, 13, verse 13 is John chapter 14. So if you go to John chapter 14, here's the second area where Jesus points to this verse and declares the glorious reality of what it is to be taught by God. It's John 14. When you when you read John 14 verses 23 through 27, those two new covenant prophecies of Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 just need to be placed right there in your mind because Jesus is is addressing both of those and applying Isaiah 54 13. He's weaving those three passages together and presenting the truth of what it is to be taught by God. So John chapter 14, starting at verse 23, verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Elsewhere in John, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will follow my teachings. This is a common refrain. Why? Because what did God promise in Ezekiel 36 verse 27? And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So that's what we see being spoken of here. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. There is that's abiding language. Verse 24 of John 14. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Now, this is a powerful statement, and this is where the Apostle Paul will use this to call on people who may be a part of and participate in the visible church, who may even profess to be Christians, may even think that they are right with God, yet they have no care and concern for the teachings of Christ. They do not follow Christ's words. And what does Christ say? You don't love me. You've deceived yourselves. You don't love me. That's what Paul, Paul used that language when he says, examine yourself. That's, that's where he's taking this, is from these teachings here of Christ. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Here it is. It's verses 25 through 27 is where Jesus is referencing Isaiah 54, 13. Again, verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. There's the peace. What's the promise of Isaiah 54, 13? All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. It's the linking of the teaching of God with true peace. And this is what Jesus is doing here. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Again, to be taught by God is to be made alive to the truth of the gospel of forgiveness of sins and new life in Jesus Christ. It is, it is to be made alive to understand that in Christ there is no longer condemnation and wrath. It is, it is to be made alive to the reality that that though we continue to sin, because we will sin as long as we're on this fallen in heaven and earth, in these fallen bodies, but as long as we continue to sin, that God has promised that not only as we have been justified by his grace alone, he will continue to sanctify us, to grow us, to discipline us, to refine us for his glory. So we have that peace, that peace, which comes from being taught by God. You see, Jesus makes a contrast between the peace that comes from being taught by God, from the peace of this fallen 
world. Oh, oh, oh. oh, the fallen world promises peace all over the place. It says you can have peace if you just accept and tolerate that anyone can decide any way they want to have any kind of God or any kind of peace, and then we could all be at peace. If we could just imagine that there is no one certain way. So that's how the world offers peace. The world offers peace in that, oh, each and every person, you can decide for yourself who you are or what you are and how you want to live. And as long as we just free everyone to do that, then we'll have peace. How the world gives peace is this. You live and do as the fallen world wants you to live and do, or it will hate you and kill you. That's the truth of the peace that the world has to offer. It is absolute authoritarian, totalitarian regime. That's the peace that the world offers. So what's the difference between that peace and the peace of Christ? The peace that Christ offers is this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take the yoke of Jesus Christ, and you will find peace. He has taken your burden on the cross, if you trust and believe in him. So that's the contrast with the peace that comes from being taught by God. As long as we continue to be merely taught by the world or taught by the devil and demonic or taught by our fallen flesh, we will never have peace. Peace can only be found by being taught by God, by his word, in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's why the church is described as the pillar and buttress of the truth. And if the church isn't teaching the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, what's the hope? That's the role of the church, the people of God. That's why the Apostle Paul makes clear The Apostle Paul makes clear that the Holy Spirit, the helper, is bringing to remembrance and teaching. And God has raised up the apostles and prophets and teachers to to write the New Testament, the scriptures, just as God breathed out and inspired the authors of the Old Testament. So we have Genesis to Revelation, the word of God. And God has raised up his word and God raises up within the church those who will teach the things of God. And this is how God continues to teach and instruct all his children so that they have peace. How we see the fulfillment of Isaiah 54, 13 in the church is where Paul teaches this in Ephesians chapter four. This is where we see this applied in the church context. 
You have each individual who is brought from death to life, the work of God that removes their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh, brings them to life. But then you have the corporate work of God within his church in the teaching and preaching of the word to teach and instruct all of God's children so that they can have true peace. And it's Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse 11. And he, the he being Jesus Christ, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the great glorious purpose of the church in preaching and teaching and instructing, correcting, rebuking, exhorting in God's word with all patience and love that we would grow up because we're being taught by God. That we would grow up into the likeness of Jesus Christ in our thoughts, words, and actions. Why is this vitally important? Because verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. The, the reference there is to be untaught, no longer be unschooled, untaught, immature in the teaching of God. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's it. Every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness in deceitful schemes that we need to be taught and grow up into Jesus Christ. That God will guard us and guide us and protect us in the truth, in the faith. From this continued onslaught of the hatred of the world. The prowling and deception of the devil and demonic and our old flesh, which wages war against us daily. That's why we need the ongoing, sustaining, gracious work of God in our lives each and every day moment. This true teaching is what brings peace. That's why after John 14, if you look at John 16, Jesus Christ again comes to this theme of the peace that comes from being taught by God. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation because the world hates you. The world hates the things of God. The world hates the truth. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's overcome it. He's defeated the devil, the demonic, 
He's paid the penalty of sins. He's defeated death. There's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's overcome the world. So we can have a peace and we can rejoice even in the midst of the most painful persecution, suffering, and opposition. That's the peace that passes understanding in Jesus Christ. And that becomes one of the main dominant themes throughout the New Testament is this peace that comes about by being taught by God. You see this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. This beautiful statement of this peace that flows out of being taught by God. Colossians 1.20. And through him, speaking of God the Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. First and foremost, this peace comes about because we have been reconciled, forgiven, and made right with our Heavenly Father. The first and foremost issue and problem we have until we are saved is we are under God's wrath and judgment. So we first and foremost need to be made at peace with God the Father. And Jesus does that by paying the penalty of our sins and satisfying his father's holy, just wrath for those who would have faith in him. But this peace with God isn't just established between us and God. This peace then is brought about for all the people of God with one another. We see where it says that in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's made clear it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, free or slave, barbarian, Scythian, Greek, male or female. It doesn't matter what social, economic, whatever your background, whatever context you are in. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. That if you are made alive with the gifts of repentance and faith, you're reconciled. You're a child of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember that? That's that brought near that we saw Jesus speak of in John 6. That is what it means to be taught by God. It means that God the Father brings you near by bringing you to his son. And giving you eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Ears to hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. New hearts to believe and trust. Minds to understand the treasures of God's forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off the Gentiles. And peace to those who are near the Jews, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So if we understand this peace, that being taught by God, we have peace with God and we have peace with one another, 
What then becomes the rest of our lives on this heaven and earth until either we die or Christ returns? What is our life? It is to give God all praise, glory, and honor. It is to grow up into Jesus Christ. It is to continue to be taught by God, to be transformed by God. And the beautiful means of God's grace in doing that in the body involve the ongoing teaching, the ongoing singing, and the ongoing praying of God's people. Isn't that amazing? In the New Testament, when you find being taught and you find the peace of God, that's how it is displayed. The fruit of that reality. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, speaks of this peace that comes by being taught by God. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. There it is. That's, as we are growing and being taught by God, his word through the Holy Spirit and the preaching and teaching of the word, we are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see the fruit there in verse 16, of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As, as we study, as we pray, as the word of God is preached and taught, as, as we learn and grow in the word of God, that is that well that overflows. And how does it overflow that ongoing being taught by God? It overflows in teaching and admonishing one another. And it overflows with singing with and over one another. The joy and the peace and the truth we have in Jesus Christ. Teaching and singing. Teaching and singing. Not just in worship. Every day, every opportunity we have together. That is what comes about by being taught by God and the peace we have in God. So we see teaching. We see singing as the fruit of this peace being taught by God. And also, of course, is prayer. That's Philippians chapter four. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That prayerful teaching and singing that's marked off by continued thanksgiving to God. That's what guards our hearts and minds 
by being taught by God and having his peace. Thanksgiving. Rejoicing. In some circumstances? No. Rejoicing and being thankful in all circumstances. All context. That's the peace that comes from being taught by God. That's the peace that passes all understanding. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how amazing and gracious you are. Father, we pray that you would continue to teach us and instruct us. Father, we pray that your word would so fill our hearts and minds that it would overflow. That your word would overflow in our thoughts, our words, our actions. That your word would overflow within our families. Overflow within our workplaces. Overflow within our church. Father, we pray that we would admonish one another, teach one another, sing over one another, pray with one another, that we would love one another because of the peace that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Well, I invite you to rise and sing with me number 240, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Our peace is found in him. He is our fortress, our strength that we run to an ever-present help in trouble. Number 240, a mighty, mighty fortress is our God. I'm sorry, 244, thank you. I couldn't see that last four, no matter how much I looked at it. 244.
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the doxology. Go in peace.